Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to have you with us another Monday evening where we continue our reflections into the great Christian thinkers through the years. And uh, what an awesome privilege it has been to be able to journey with the great men and women. Now, we haven't really spent a whole lot of time with uh, the various women and and women great thinkers, uh, so to speak, but we will certainly have the opportunity to do that tonight, as uh, tonight we will be talking about one St. Hildegard of Bingen, a lesser-known saint, but certainly one that uh, Pope Benedict XVI put on the map in 2012 by declaring her a doctor of the Church. And uh, with that, it is Monday evening, so I welcome John O'Hare with me. John, great to have you back with me this evening. Great to be here, Joe. So, John, before we jump into St. Hildegard, just a few pieces here. You know, it was a couple of months ago that George Wing was here in the studio, and we were reflecting into St. Gregory of Narek, uh, that figure who Pope Francis declared Doctor of the Church. We made note then, and I really want to rekindle some of that subject matter now, that if you look carefully into what is what has taken place over the last three, four years, what you will find is this emphasis from the Church to have all men and women, both consecrated and lay alike, to focus in on mystical theology. What do I mean? Well, let's look at our recent figures who have been declared doctors. <laughs> you have St. John of Avila, who is a mystic. You have St. Hildegard of Bingen, who we will talk about this evening, another mystic. And of course, St. Gregory of Narc, another mystic. All three recent doctors of the Church are mystical in how they approached the faith. Now, what do I mean by mystical? Well, what does the word mystery mean? You always have to go to the word itself, the Greek mysterion, which literally means inexhaustible reality. As we've touched upon this radio program before, the verb within mysterion is mio. That literally translates as one who is being initiated into the mysteries of faith, or better translated as one who has a religious experience or one who encounters mystery, right? So when you talk about the stuff of mystery, what you're talking about, John, is a personal encounter. Now, in divine revelation, that is to say, in sacred scripture, where do we have this? But in the transfiguration, when you go to the Greek, within the context of Christ's transfiguration, what you have is Christ going beyond the form that he had, That is to say, without ceasing to be what he was, he became something more. In other words, John, he revealed a new depth dimension that was up to that point unseen. You know, I'm thinking of of the Old Testament image of the burning bush, right? There you had the presence of God without corruption, okay? There is something more. Without ceasing to be what it was, the bush, there was something more when it was cast into the light and fire of God. Now, I speak to light here because light is an important image to mystery, and certainly it was in the transfiguration, because light 
provides the ground for true vision. I mean, try reading something in the dark. Well, you can't do it. Only when light has been cast on it can you say and proclaim, I see. In light of this, and within the context of our personal encounters with God, it is only when we enter into the light of Christ, and Christ illuminates who we are as created in God's image and likeness, can we proclaim boldly, I see. Okay, so when you talk about mystical theology, at its core, what we are made to see then is without ceasing to be who we are in the light of Christ, we become something more. And certainly we can say, John, that as it comes from the writings of one St. Hildegard of Bingen, she is about this light that we might see all things that we touch in our human experience in the light of God. And as such, John, what we see in St. Hildegard as a doctor of the church, like every true doctor of the church, is that her teaching reaches far beyond the epic of her time, so to speak, touching upon that human experience, just not to a particular age and to a particular people, but ultimately to every age and to every person. This is one of those salient truths that comes from every great thinker, every great doctor of the church. Let me give you a quote that she gave to her blessed Jetta when she was uh, quite a young woman. She said, I saw such a great light that my soul quaked. Mm. Now, one mm. thing I'd kind of like to throw in, mystical theology is a gift from God. God gives it to those whom he wishes to give it to, and most of us don't have it. That doesn't mean we're lacking in holiness. Mm -hmm, it just mm -hmm. simply means that these things are a gift of God. Well, and I would add to that, even within the context of why we were talking about all of these mystical theologians, is that God desires that we enter into this mystery, and what we need to do then, really, uh, John, is respond to that desire by opening ourselves up more to God and asking for the gift. I think this is one of the points of emphasis that the Church wants us to see, but certainly your point is well received. Everything that we're talking about as it relates to the mystery of God is not self-initiated, but one that is first initiated by God. And if we don't have it, you're right, it's not that we lack in holiness, but only that in our holiness what God is asking of us is certainly to go deeper into that holiness. Well, let me just go into a little bit about the biography of St. Hildegard of Bingham. She was born in 1098, died in 1179 at the ripe old age of 81. Pretty good for someone who was born sickly, possibly mm -hmm. with epilepsy. No one knows for sure she was German, born in the Palatinate near the Rhine River. Now, there were attempts to canonize her in the 13th century. Didn't work out. Mm -hmm. Attempts to canonize her in the 14th century. Didn't work out. In the 15th century, she was made part of the Roman martyrology, which meant you could celebrate her feast uh, if you wish to, and many German dioceses did. It wasn't until May the 10th, 2012, that Pope Benedict XVI gave her an equivalent canonization. On October the 7th, 2012, he made her a doctor of the church. And many professors, particularly, I'm not talking about, well, many professors of the Middle Ages said it's about time, and many mm -hmm. feminist professors said it's about time because she has been known for quite some time. She was born the 10th child of a quite well-to-do family, at a very early age of about eight, she was sent off to work with Blessed Jetta 
von Sponheim. Now, this blessed Jetta was came from a well-to-do family herself. Now, she was sort of an anchorite. Now, a real anchorite was kind of like cemented into their little cell mm-hmm. near the church. Not so much blessed Jetta because she had Hildegard and other women, and they were attached to a Benedictine church, uh, St. Decibio, I believe it was mm-hmm. called. Now, she worked with Blessed Jetta for a long time, and Blessed Jetta died when St. Hildegard was about 32, 34, around in there. Now, we have a community of women, we'll call them Benedictine nuns, so yes, to speak. Yes, yes. Upon the death of Blessed Jetta, St. Hildegard was unanimously elected to be the abbess of this group of women. She decided she wanted to move her convent from where it was down to another river on a rather abandoned hillside near Bingen, not in Bingen, but near it. Okay. Now, the abbot, the Benedictine abbot, said, no way. Now, by this time, they were becoming kind of famous, and they were attracting pilgrims, hence money. And so they did not want them to move. St. Hildegard said, we have to move. The abbot said, no. St. Hildegard became ill, passed out, comatose. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I mean... For all appearance, just she was alive but dead. Mm-hmm. And the abbot thought, oh, my word, what's going on here? Okay, you can move. At that, she miraculously, shall we say, got better. Yes, yes. And they moved to Bingen, and uh, it was a very poor monastery, but she was becoming something of a little bit of a celebrity, and people began to become attracted to her. Now, she had these visions, and she shared them with Blessed Jetta. Blessed Jetta said, I believe these are authentic. These, Because if you're having these visions, you're wondering... Is this from the devil? Is this from God? What's going mm-hmm. on? And But Blessed Jetta said, I think these are real. And then she confided them to her confessor, a Benedictine monk, and he said, hmm, okay. He went to his superior and told him about her visions, and he said, tell her to write them down. This sounds like St. Faustina. Conan was the abbot who said, have yes, write it down. Yes. Now, she wrote them down, and these got shared, and they were quite good, and it got to the Archbishop of Mainz, and the Archbishop of Mainz appointed Volmar to be her secretary. Now, by this time, Hildegard wrote Latin professionally, let's say. She also knew music. Blessed Jetta had taught her music. She also was very good at art, and she knew theology. She'd read her theology. She's got her writings, and the Bishop of Mainz, Pope Eugenius, makes a, goes on tour, and he reads this stuff, and he appoints a commission to look over this, and he included in this St. Bernard of Clairvaux, the biggest celebrity yes, of the yeah, day. Yeah. He said, this stuff is for real. Mm-hmm. So she writes her first book, which is called Sivas, S-C-I-V-I-A-S, which means Shito, Vias, Domini, or Know the God. Mm-hmm. And at the end of this, she writes a symphony, a musical symphony. And this was her first book, uh, first of three books. I think one of them, and she had drawings in these, and one of them was of a, of, of a tree. And a woman was next to the tree, and she was covered by the branches of the tree wrapping around her. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what that quite means. Another one was kind of a, a lucid sphere in the shape of an egg with two wings coming out, one for justice, one for mercy. And in the middle was a figure of a human being named Humility. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, this was her first large book. Two more were to come. And, and she was becoming something of a religious celebrity. Yeah, she really was, John, which highlights actually something I I wanted to talk about. You know, one of the things that really struck me when I was reading about St. Hildegard of Bingen is because of her celebrity stature, if you will, as this great abbess, it gave rise to a great number of vocations. And it really made me think about 
certainly St. John Paul II, but also Benedict XVI, and most notably Pope Francis, that out from their popularity, there has been a great rise and increase in vocations. This now has been well documented for the past 20 years, that from one year to the next, what we have been seeing is an increase in vocations. And what happens is simply this. When one falls in love, deeply in love with the person of Jesus Christ, it has this attractive nature to it. It has this light, light quality to it. John Paul II, Benedict XVI, Pope Francis, every time you talk to someone who has met any one of these three great men, okay, one of which, of course, we now call saint, all of them speak to this light, light quality, and it draws them closer to, what, the mystery of God, and has them discerning anew their vocation. Why do I talk about this, John? Well, this is the same thing that was happening a thousand years ago, okay? You had this woman, unique in so many different ways. You talked about her being a composer. She had a love for just not philosophy, theology, music, as you noted, but the arts in general. She was a great poet, John. Um, she had a love for medicine and, natu- and, and the natural sciences. She wrote a number of works uh, there as well. So striking. She, in so many ways, and we're going to talk about this here, was a woman for the new evangelization because she was a woman who understood well how to communicate the faith to a particular person based upon their need. This is the essence of the new evangelization. It's interesting, John, you were talking about St. Bernard of Clairvaux. He really encouraged her to go out and preach, and this is in fact what she did. She went into the public squares all throughout Germany and was preaching the faith and truth of Jesus Christ. Is this not what Paul did in Acts 17 when he went into Athens and he went into the public square? He goes to the Areopagus and he takes the faith that they had there and he shows them how Jesus Christ, the truth, the Logos, is the fulfillment of their understanding of God. Some people didn't believe, and some people did believe. And in the time of St. Hildegard, some people believed, and some people didn't believe. In our time, John, what we are called to do is to go to the public square. Some people will believe, some people will not believe, but that's up to God. All we need to do is what God calls us to do, which, like St. Hildegard, is to go into the public square, utilizing our gifts, utilizing those charisms which God has given to us, that we might in turn glorify God. Um, as her move to Bingen against the abbot mm-hmm. uh, shows, she was something of a leader, but I think I want to point out that she was conventional. She was a sure, Catholic, yep, con- yep, I mean, yep. uh, she, she was in the traditions of the church. Absolutely. Now, she was quite critical of bishops for not living in their diocese. This was a problem in that time. She mm-hmm. was she was kind of a reformer, in the, but wanted the church to really be the church. Mm-hmm. And so while she did ruffle feathers, it was always uh, for the—I want to say for the good of the Church, but for the conventional theology of the Church. She wasn't into anything that was heretical in any shape or form. She, she, to- she spoke against the Cathars. She even wrote letters to Fed- Frederick Barbarossa, mm-hmm. Holy Roman Emperor, criticizing him for criticizing the Pope. So, Yeah, one of the earmarks that Benedict XVI talked about in his apostolic letter, his more— formal apostolic letter declaring both St. John of Avila and Hildegard of Bingen, doctors of the Church. One of the earmarks was obedience, John. 
yeah, you know, was. obedience to Holy Mother Church. And so, um, as we've spoken to before on more than one occasion, obedience, one of those great evangelical councils, lies at the heart of our faith because it's the way in which we, well, remember, what does obedience mean? Obadire, to listen. We listen to the Holy Spirit speaking in and through the heart of the Church. So this, as you say, John, was very important to one Hildegard, and you know, she is an abbess. She gets it, right? Yes. She understands, because as an abbess, she is in the position of being a superior, you know, telling these young women what to do or what not to do. So as one abbot spoke to it on an occasion, to be an abbot is to understand what it means to be a son of God, because you understand the language of obedience. To be an abbess, we can also say, <coughs> excuse me, that she also would have understood what obedience was all about. This woman had a mind. Mm. Uh, her second book was called The Book of Life's Merits. This was about the conflict between virtue and vice. So now, in this, she wrote a morality play, mm. one of the first morality plays of the Middle Ages, and they would become quite popular. Mm-hmm. Uh, she writes a symphony, she writes a morality play, she does science. This woman is talented. And her talents were used for the glory of God. You know, John, you said something earlier that really struck me. She was almost canonized once. She was almost canonized a second time. She was enrolled into the martyrology, yet she was not declared doctor of the church until 2012. So the question begs to be asked, why? Because all things are to be seen in the providence of God, in God's sovereignty. So, Why? Well, I believe, John, that it is tied to the importance of understanding who she is in light of, yes, her mystical theology, but at the same time, how she used all of these gifts and talents that God imbued her with for the greater glory of God. We have spoken to the new evangelization already. As we have spoken to it so many times, it really is about evangelizing the imagination in and through the beauty of art. It was Father Hans Urs von Balthasar who reflected upon truth, beauty, and goodness, says we must lead in our evangelization with truth and goodness. No, beauty, because beauty captivates all ages, captivates the heart and mind, wherever you are at. When you see something beautiful, You pause, you reflect, you find yourself imagining, wondering, contemplating. When we lead with beauty, it has an effect on the souls we are evangelizing. And when we lead with beauty out from a deeper contemplation of God, all the more effective will our evangelizing with beauty be. So, for Benedict XVI to declare St. Hildegard Doctor of the Church for 2012, what he wants us to see is that not only should we lead with beauty, but that beauty must be a natural outgrowth to the beauty that has already been contemplated. Just a little aside, when I think of the Catholic writers who wrote in English in the first half of the 20th century, quite impressive. Yes. Second half, I don't know. Yeah. Now, another little thing about St. Hildegard is uh, this is a little controversial. Towards the end of her life, a person died who was said to, not, who, who said to have died in mortal sin. And 
Yes, she said no, he wasn't. He had received proper confession, and he was buried in consecrated ground, and there was a headstone for him, and the bishop said, get him out of there. He died in mortal sin. She said no, he died in the state of grace, and they said, we're coming to get him and remove him. At nighttime, she went out alone with a lantern and a rock and scrapes the headstone with his name on it. So all there is is simply a blank stone. Mm -hmm. And when the church comes to remove the body, you know... They, do, they, they can't they identify the body. Yeah. That, yeah. I think, was... Uh, they, I, I think there were some church officials had some trouble with that. Now, she died... She, this was, she was elderly when this happened. Mm -hmm. So uh, I'm not sure how, what that had to do with her canonization issue. But anyway... She made it. <laughs> she did. Yeah. She did. And, and she's those... one of 35 doctors of the church, yeah. four of whom are women. Amen, John. A couple of other pieces as it relates to St. Hildegard. You know, when you go to her writings, it's important to note that she saw the events of her time in light of the mystery of God. So she was constantly interpreting the events around her in light of the way in which God was working, just not in her time but in the bigger picture, right, in salvation history. Why is this relevant? Well, John, you and George were with me for three weeks, and we talked about the Crusades. Well, when did the Crusades start? Well, during the time of St. Hildegard. So she, in her writings, is reflecting into the way in which God is working bigger picture, and how he writes straight with crooked lines, so to speak. And so you kind of see this as another theme of hers. What's more, in the writings of St. Hildegard, she asks herself and us the fundamental question, whether it is possible to know God. And is this not, John, uh, the principal task of any philosopher or theologian? Well, her answer is emphatically yes, that through faith, as through a door, the human person is able to approach God and inquire knowledge about God. God, however, she says, always retains his veil of mystery and incomprehensibility. He makes himself understandable in creation, but creation itself is not fully understood when detached from God. Indeed, she reminds us, John, that nature, considered in itself, provides only pieces of information, which, as we see today, are often an occasion for error and abuse. Faith, therefore, is necessary in the natural cognitive process, for otherwise, knowledge of God will always remain limited, unsatisfactory, misleading. If we are going to come to understand the wisdom and the beauty of God as it comes to us through nature, we must approach God in and through faith. And we do so by reading Scripture. St. Hildegard says, <laughs> precisely because God speaks, man is called to listen. But what kind of listening is this? But a listening that sparks new life, because God's Word itself is new life. And certainly, for St. Hildegard, this is particular to the Mass, where we listen to the Word of God in sacred Scripture, that we might enter into a deeper unity into the Word of God by way of the Eucharist. So I love this. God speaks, and because he speaks, we need to listen. But because his speech is a work and creates new life, when we listen, we become new in him. 
And in becoming new in him, we go deeper into the mystery of God. This kind of process allows us to see and interpret better God's creation. Amen to that. All you're going to get from science is how the material world works. Mm-hmm. And, well, God created the material world. God is so much more than the material world. The Amen. best part of God is not the material world, and you have to explore that if you're going to truly try to get to know God. Yeah, and John, as we've talked about it before, you know, there's such an emphasis on the potential of uh, the human person, and we always, that is, the, the secular world always wants to put or hone in on what we can produce in technology and so on and so forth, and what we forget in the study of how we can advance technologically is the person of Jesus Christ. We almost see Jesus as getting in the way, when in reality, <laughs> It is only in light of Jesus Christ that we can begin to discover our human potential, just not in what we do, but again, who we are, because the greatness of what we do is tied to who we are. This is so important, and in many ways, it brings us back to St. Hildegard and the fact that she was, what, a poet, an author of works on medicine, the natural sciences, and a composer of music. Why? Because she understood well the capacity that the arts had to advance both mind and heart, awakening the soul. Music itself, as we've spoken to her being a composer, as St. Thomas Aquinas reminds us, it's a delight to the mind, a soothing pleasure to the ear. It awakens the soul, right? And only when our souls are awakened can we even begin to discover our human potential. Our creative genius, even John in the realm of technology, is tied to the soul because all good things that are created comes from within, right? And so the purpose behind who we are and where we are going, even with technology, must always be seen in light of the soul, in light of the whole human person. Think about today's social media, Facebook, Twitter, all of these things, if you remove God, if you remove faith, if you remove the soul, they only become venues for destruction. In light of faith, in light of God, it can become a means of evangelization and catechesis. You see, so the arts have a power behind them because they awaken our human potential, and in so doing, as St. Hildegard reminds us, fulfill our human destiny. Remember, art deals with images, be it music, painting, or writing, and this gives us to deeper things, and you got to go beyond the image to what's beyond it to really get into the art, whatever the art is. Yeah, that's well said, John, because even as we talk to beauty and the arts and we speak to pictures and or images, we don't want to reduce it to, say, something uh, like a sculpture, an icon. Certainly, uh, those are important, but you speak to words. (laughs) I mean... It is no wonder that we want to speak with clarity. You know, what does the word claritas mean? But uh, beauty, something that belongs to beauty, right? This is why when you talk about uh, good grammar, uh, and its root grammar speaks to beauty. So words themselves can become an image, an icon into a new depth dimension, right? All of this is very important, and that's a, a fine point you make, John. And I'm looking up at the clock now, and we're out of time. I just want to encourage all of our listeners to go back into the writings 
of St. Hildegard because she really does have something for us today. And there's so much there, so much there, that whether you are a philosopher, a theologian, a lover of poetry, or a lover of music, even uh, medicine and the natural sciences, she was a woman who was imbued with so many gifts, so many talents. And I really do encourage you to spend time with her. Well, with that, John, let's go ahead and wrap up with a word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 6.30 p.m. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.